1: Hello and welcome to Your Book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan. Firstly, I'm really excited about my brand new space on the Substack platform, The Creative Confidence Clinic. It's part writing school and part club. It's for anyone who makes any kind of creative work with a bit of a focus on writing. I share essays about everything that I've learned as an author and all the mistakes I've made. Subscribers will be the very first to hear about my future events and writing courses, including the next Write Like a Reader course, which will be taking place in the autumn. Subscribers will get first dibs on those spots. Most of all, I'm excited about the Creative Confidence Clinic because it's a space for us to talk to each other and we can have great conversations about reading and writing. Like many of you, I've been really going off social media after the last year or so, I can't think why, and I wanted to open up a social space that felt a bit more welcoming. If you're able to support me in this podcast by taking out a full subscription, you'll get bonus videos, audio essays, live interview masterclasses with some of my favourite authors, as well as the opportunity to book me for mini mentoring sessions. It's also really helpful and it means I can offer additional content and class spaces to people who are not able to fully subscribe at the moment. You can find me at creativeconfidenceclinic.substack.com. Buying my books is also a great way to support me and the Your Book podcast, and if you pre-order Limelight in hardback from bookshop.org, you could win the chance to be a guest on the show. Limelight is a story of sisterhood, sexuality and self-esteem. It's published by Sphere and out on the 1st of June. Now, on to today's guest. Cecilia Ahern is an international treasure. She's been filling our bookshelves with magical and memorable stories ever since she wrote her smash hit debut, P.S. I Love You. Her new novel, a thousand different ways, is a compelling, sensitive and lyrical story of emotion and how we attempt to understand the people that we love. We start off talking about the main character, Alice, and we go on to talk about the Celestine prophecy, the creative process and enormous turnips, obviously. Enjoy. I'd love to start by... Ask me a bit about Alice and her intense emotions and I think synesthesia is something that we're all so fascinated by and know so little about how was it emotionally to to live with that character and really put all those feelings on the page in such a visible way
2: oh it was probably the most one of the most intense books I've written I would say PS I Love You and In A Thousand Different Ways are the two ones that I really like I, I mean I get into all of my books as as you do, like, you just have to get into it and feel it. But I really, really uh, connected with this one. And and I'm not her, but we had a lot in common. And I think that was what was so draining and exhilarating, you know, the two things. So, um, and I didn't set out to write about synesthesia, because I can't say that word. (laughs) Um, But I didn't set out to write about it. (laughs) But what I wanted to do was write about someone who, who had the, somebody who was highly empathetic and somebody who has the ability to just, feel what other people are feeling around them and so sensitive that you pick up on those things and often I am like that and as I was writing the novel what I didn't want to be doing is write something that felt very magical and you know unrealistic because it is realistic so then I started searching for reasons how she could have this and that was one of the that word that I can't pronounce was one of the kind of ideas or theories offered but it certainly isn't the reason I think from For that character, what I have decided is that she, it was purely environment that made her the way she is. Because her mother was so, she's bipolar disorder, which she didn't know all her life, but her, her moods were so extreme. She was trying to read her every day and trying to figure out what kind of mother am I going to get? Is it going to be this warm, loving mother or this cold, distant, disconnected mother? And so from doing that, she then starts to read everyone else around her and understand them. So Writing about somebody like that, it was very intense. But I was also writing about that because I was feeling that myself.
1: I think that's why it does, it feels so real and so grounded. And as you say, that sort of, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that every book, in, you know, living, there's always an element of magic there. But I can absolutely appreciate that you don't want sort of to overplay that. You want it to feel like a world that people can recognise. And that makes so much sense to me that it has been developed as a coping mechanism and a kind of amazing emotional tool albeit a tool that has that comes with all kinds of very complicated facets that aren't always so easy to live with. And I suppose what
2: I wanted to do was introduce colour as the way that she reads emotions is because so so many people aren't empathetic and um, it's weird or not weird it's kind of unusual or it's hard for people to understand how highly sensitive other people can be. So many people can allow things to go over their heads where they don't even notice and so I wanted to introduce color, but if I could show you how how anger can spread, you know, in this kind of red misty haze that I create, I can. If you can see that going from one person to the next, to the next person, to the next person, it's almost like you know, domino effect. If you can see that, would you not? It's fascinating, and maybe you would hold your tongue a bit, or maybe you would all mind ourselves and be kinder, or just um, look at other ways of get rid of getting rid of our stuff every day. I want, didn't want it to be gimmicky but it's like a visual way of seeing how other people feel and how emotions can be transferred from one to the next which is so obvious to me you know sometimes you can walk in even even an unempathetic person can walk into a room and pick up on a feeling you know um but if that's completely heightened uh, imagine what it's like to live to live like that people do have to protect themselves or you know often can't be around very negative people or you know it, it's it's kind of incredible and I think I'm like that at certain points in my life when I'm more sensitive it's not all the time it's just if I'm I don't know if I'm going through something or whatever's happening with my body or my hormones sometimes I'm more plugged in to how other people are feeling um interesting the one point when I'm not is when I'm pregnant <laughs> that's why I put that <laughs> into the novel you know when she's pregnant she's saw seeing colors um mm. because I think at that point I'm so kind of obsessed with what's going on in my own body um, that, I, that I'm not really plugged into other people.
1: I mean, I think that makes so much sense that you're protecting, you know, this special person that you're growing and the energy that you need to be putting out to kind of interpret feelings and moods. You've got to hang on to that. Uh, I'd love to hear about the books you were reading growing up and the books that really made you feel seen and anything you read where you really empathised and connected with the characters. So
2: when I was growing up, I, I mean, I loved like the babysitter's club sweet valley twins sweet valley high they were all my absolute favorite books and the famous five you know there was numbers on each of these books i don't know if you remember and it's like it's like me and my friends chain you know transferred uh swapping fancy paper to swapping these books to try and read as many as we could in the collection and the babysitter's club was kind of created written by francine pascal but it was created by it was Jean firewalls idea and she became my editor for my young adult collection um series flawed and perfect which was amazing so it's one of those weird moments as an author when you feel wow I'm now working with the woman who created the series that got me reading so that was amazing that's incredible that's really
1: beautiful and I loved those books too and I just went to stay with my friend who reads anything and everything and she's incredibly well read and we're both very very high low And I found a, um, she had a duplicate and she was going to give it away. So I said, oh, can I have this? And it's the first Sweet Valley University book. Oh, wow. I think everyone reading those Sweet Valley books, I think we were all Elizabeth's who wanted to be Jessica's. (laughs) Yes,
2: probably. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. And they were so, I just, I remember feeling like I was living those stories. Like I was in them and they were like my friends. And I suppose going through them so quickly at such a fast rate, they became such a part of my life. But, I, but then I kind of I remember moving on from that to there was a book in partic- particular called Under the Hawthorn Tree by Marita Conlon McKenna. And it's almost like every Irish woman of my age knows and has read that book because it's it's such an important book in, in Ireland. And it was about three young kids during the Irish famine and trying to make their way like on their own without their parents, trying to make their way from one part of the country to another. And it was just so, it felt so real to me. It was the first thing that wasn't Sweet Valley Twins, The Famous Five. It was the first book that like, things might not be okay. The world might not be always okay. So that that's a standout book to me for reading something a little bit, you know, darker, I suppose, and real, more real. No, not that those weren't real, but but more, I don't know, a world that I didn't recognise, I suppose.
1: How did that book find you? Was it at school or did a friend yeah, lend it to you? I think it's
2: one of those ones. I don't know if it even was a school book, but it's one that like everybody has read. It probably is now on the school curriculum, but um, just such a massively successful book and um, important book at the time. And then there was another one, which was The Best Little Girl in the World. Uh, by Stephen Levencron, which was about, that a friend of mine was a ballet dancer. So I think at the age of 11 or 12, that's the book that was passed around to all the girls. And it was about anorexia. I, I just remember, again, that was another, that wasn't, that introduced me to a world where everything wasn't always okay, you know. So books like that really just took me out of my kind of reading binge, where everything was sugary and sweet. <laughs> and then I learned a lot from those. And yeah, so that was passed around, I think, deliberately by parents to to make us understand that subject matter and I'll, ne- I'll never forget it and I always remember thinking I never I understood it in a way I never did before and I always remember thinking that was not a path I wanted to go down
1: I think that's such a powerful illustration of why we read and the different reasons and I think we we read for comfort you know we want to be in those worlds that feel really consistent with characters we love and know and trust but also to be we also read to be moved and shocked and changed
2: yes and I think that's what I drift between. You're absolutely right. I go from wanting that absolute escapism, like the magic faraway tree, which would have been one of my favorite Enid Blyton books, from that to, yeah, the stuff that you're not particular that I don't particularly enjoy it when I'm reading it, but it's the stuff that stays with you um, for a really long time, or the books that move you, books that make me cry are the ones I'll remember. So yeah, I go from that. I go from wanting to be in this absolutely other world,
1: to um to the yeah to those more moving shocking books you know books maybe carry their own color or their own weight that we get a sense of those feelings and I, I suppose the other magical thing about books is those feelings are so different for every reader and it it's to do with the time that you read them as much as who you are absolutely you know I, for a while
2: I was saying you don't choose books books choose you and you know sometimes um there's books that have come into my life that I, I mean, I, that I say, oh, this is my favorite, one of my top 10 books. And I haven't read it since, you know, and I don't know what that book would do to me now. Like, for example, a book that I think was so important to me was The Celestine Prophecy um, by James Redfield. And I read it when I was 21. Someone gave it to me. I had just gotten the book deal for PSI Love You and my life was utterly changing, you know, for the better. But it was you know overwhelming. So it was a time of transition. The person who gave it to me was a person who read that during a time of transition in their life. So they felt it was important to share with me. And I just absolutely loved that book. And it's kind of this, uh, I don't even know how to explain it, but um, it it did a lot of reaffirming things that I felt that I didn't know were a thing. So talking about um, synchronicity, you know, how you can be drawn to certain people, the power of coincidence, what is coincidence, you know, these kind of big things that I, I hadn't really talked about with other people. but And also, like what I've written in my new novel, how people can fill you with energy and how people can drain you of energy. And it, w- it was just all about this. It's kind of a, spir- a spiritual book, I suppose, that um looked at a lot of different religious theories. And I, and I absolutely adored it. And so to me, that was a really important book of my time. If I was to read it now, I don't know. I don't know what it would mean to me, but that was definitely something that I recommend to other people who are also going through a period of of transition because it did that to me.
1: I don't know about you, but I think 21, that's such an interesting age, isn't it? Because, and I think I read that you said that all your books, what links them is, it's people on the brink, undergoing those huge transitions who are about to kind of, you know, that kind of in a liminal state, going from something sort of painful and then coming through that and moving through. And I think that to be technically legally officially an adult but also at the very very beginning of everything and I think you've got so much headspace those enormous exciting ideas I was raised in a very sort of strict Catholic house and religion was just like be good or you're going to hell and the idea that there's a sort of philosophical way to interpret the world and what's beyond the world and that there are these different ideas I think that that still makes me giddy that I'm allowed to yeah think in different ways and explore different ideas
2: yeah I mean I suppose I, I I would never say I'm religious but I'm definitely spiritual which I think is the heart of all religions <laughs> before I got caught up in all of these other kind of rules and um and, and recently I'm like yeah I think maybe I'm even a pagan <laughs> you know that's the heart of it really you know into in like in touch with nature and how how nature can affect you and stuff like that so I'm just really I find it again. That was that book to me was like a revelation. All these things that I felt that I was that I was seeing written down, and and definitely are helpful through the transitional stages of life. I I my friends laugh at me. I always say there's a seven year thing in my life. You know, every seven years, I think I seem to move into this different version of me. So I'm never n- and no one is ever static, the same person the whole way through life. And that's what I love to write about. I love to write about how life is so challenging you know and every time I think that okay I'm, I'm kind of going calm smooth on this path like it throws something and that's what I love to write about because when I'm happy I don't question things so much um, but but when I'm really challenged it's like you question everything and that's the meaty part um, mm. of, of every character for me that, that's the that's where I want to put my characters at that really wibbly wobbly beginning uh, where they're trying to Walk this tightrope and become a stronger person and learn more about themselves because it's happening over and over and over again. I mean, I'm forty. What am I? Forty? Some? I don't even know what age I am. Forty-two, I think.
1: <laughs> um, I think once it passes about thirty-five, it's really hard
2: <laughs> to keep track of the numbers. You can be there for a minute. Um, I don't count the COVID years. I miss them. So <laughs> it's just yeah. I just find it fascinating, and I don't think I'll ever ever be bored by. Well, I wish I didn't continuously being challenged in my own life. <laughs> But I'll never be bored about writing about it because I think we just, every time you can, I'm always learning something new about myself. And I just love doing that with characters. It's like peeling back the layers and who, who are they now and who are they becoming and and the importance of the people around them. And I just everything to me just is, is so
1: inspirational <laughs> about a transitional moment. And that's that's why I do it. I think it's so exciting, isn't it? That once the character is on the page, they're, they're in charge and there's, What you choose to put on the page is kind of up to the author, but there's so much going on. Are there any books that you've read where there's been, you know, a character who's perhaps not a main character, but you thought, I know what this person is doing and how they're living, and I think this person should have their own novel or their own story. I often think when I'm reading books about minor characters especially I mean I think Jane Austen does this so brilliantly as well they're sort of people who come for comic relief like you know Mr Collins is so awful but I think that he would be a very funny star of his own novel.
2: I, I think what I used to do earlier on is have too many other characters with not enough to do and instead lessen the amount of people I have and kind of combine more of the things I'm trying to give to other people to one person uh, that's not what you've asked me, but I'm just thinking of that as we talk.
1: Because <laughs> I know that you've done lots of screenwriting and writing for film and TV, and I guess that's a very sort of filmic way of doing it, isn't it? You can't yeah. have too many extra people coming in, you've got to yeah. keep it tight.
2: As I was saying it, I was thinking that, yeah, yeah, like whereas before I would have had lots of characters that do different things, and now I've learned, yeah, just strengthen, and it, it kind of keeps. It's it's definitely related to what you've asked. Is there any character that I would like to be bigger? I think as I'm writing now, I'm realizing that even those small characters, I need to make more interesting so that they're not just there for, for the purpose of one joke, you know? <laughs> and they're not just there always for the purpose of another person but, but who are, you know, I, I like to make each person stronger and stronger. But look, I'm still coming up with idea for new novels, but that's not to say I will never go
1: back and go, hmm, who can I pick out of these stories and give them their own? What's the book that you've given the most as a gift or given the most recently as a gift?
2: Okay, so there's there's two books. So one of my favourite books to give as a gift, I've given this the most, is The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse. I love that book. And I've given it to people who I think are going through a tough time, you know, because I just find it a hug of a book. There's just such beautiful inspirational quotes. It's very uplifting. It's really yeah if you can't give someone a hug I think that book is the equivalent and then the other book um, I have given to new parents a lot is I'm not going to swear but Go the Beep to Sleep by, <laughs> by Adam um, Mansbach um, which I find absolutely hilarious um, although I did give it to a new couple who are so you know excited about their first child and I think they looked at that and thought that wasn't so beautiful but anyone anyone who's had a couple will know that that's yeah
1: (laughs) I would say in a year they will say thank you for the book we needed that book they
2: might have more of a sense of humor then but they were in the in the glowing moment of um I think maybe it was more insulting but it's hilarious book it's just fun so um yeah so a bit of a a hug and a bit of a laugh
1: (laughs) That's a really brilliant combination. Um, what are the books that you've shared with your children that have had a really great response? Now, are there any books that you're sort of waiting for them to kind of be the right age or the right mood that you're really excited for them to read?
2: I was really excited to read The Magic fireway Tree when they were little. Um, but then I discovered that the things that I love are not necessarily things that other people love. So I think we've, with each child, I have three, I have discovered new books that that are... That suit their personalities under the Hawthorne tree obviously I was so excited to read that with my daughter but then they, they just like different things you know they really want to have different things and my kids for some reason always want me to tell my own stories and not necessarily read them so I had to after spending the day writing I would go upstairs and I'd have to um, think of other stories to uh, you know to make up
1: but um, the Gruffalo theories, eh? like all of those Julia Donaldson books. I'm jealous of children because I yeah. think that I was probably, I don't know when she started writing the Gruffalo books, but I've read them to my nephews and niece. I, I would have loved these when I was oh, a kid. God, I, loved them. I used to have to wrap the Gruffalo to my
2: daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Show me something different. It couldn't just be the usual. I had to
1: like make things up or wrap them. Sorry, go on, your nephew. Yeah. <laughs> um, he introduced me to the book with no pictures, which a couple of years ago it was his favourite thing, and he just wanted it over and over and over again. I think it's uh, B.J. Novak, and um, it relies very much on the reader of the book humiliating themselves in various Brilliant. ways as they read. But that was um, that was a, a delight. Well, I was just remembering about the, the magic faraway tree. It's amazing that like, sense of like a fantasy and joy and things being different and new, but also those books felt very, very safe that the tree was a very safe place to be. Did your family read you those books or did you find them at school or through school friends?
2: I, I can't remember where. I just remember the book being at home and that was the one that I loved reading myself. And I loved it and I look at what I was reading then and what I'm doing now and it's so
0: familiar. <laughs>
2: it's so similar um like I'm every time they went up the tree they were faced with a new world like the world had turned upside down or you know everything was topsy-turvy and that's I think I do that with every novel I I write it's like now I'm going up the tree and what is the world like for my character Mm -hmm. now and so they were very informative very inspiring the other one I love to read uh was the enormous turnip (laughs) I just read to myself every day this ladybird book and I was just fascinated by this enormous piece of food I think I just really loved food <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I know the oh, enormous turnip no one ever knows this one when I tell it I just loved it it was basically a farmer uh he planted this turnip and it just became so enormous that he couldn't pull it out of the ground uh he had to pull it his wife had to pull him then a little boy came to pull the wife who pulled the farmer then a little girl came to pull the boy who pulled the wife who pulled the farmer and then a dog and a cat got involved and then they pulled the enormous turnip out of the ground and they were eating turnip for breakfast for lunch for dinner every day and I read it over and over and over again it was the perfect story
1: for me I love the sound of the rhythm of that, yeah. and also I love that the detail, which I think we get this in the old woman who swallowed a fly, where it's like, you know, who can help us pull a cat? Yeah, the <laughs> cat's a really great person to bring in. Here. There's even a
2: bird that comes in at one point.
1: Um, yeah, it's funny. It, like you say, it's the rhythm. There was a book I loved that I don't remember so well. I think it's called The Pie Makers by Helen Cresswell, and for reasons maybe there's a village fate or there's some reason why the whole village Hence, it's kind of a it's a novel everyone has to kind of to rally round to bake a pie and if memory serves me the heroine is quite embarrassed to be the daughter of I think pie makers or pastry makers or they're sort of a family business and she yearns for something else and something bigger or brighter but she's sort of committed to the the pastry ways and the other detail I remember it was sort of I think the gravy boat was an actual boat because the pie was so enormous um I might reread that actually lovely (laughs) I remember just loving it and loving those very specific details about how many tons of flour and suet and butter and whatever it was
2: yeah see what is it about and then there was also one I I read called the perfect burger best title ever yeah and, and they couldn't remember what they put in the recipe but it was the most amazing burger ever and they had to spend the rest of the novel trying to figure out what they put in to get to, to find the perfect burger. I read that as well over and over again. Obviously, I still like food. <laughs>
1: well, that, me too. I'm, like, I'm going to be tracking these down. I'm going to be, um, all of my internet searches, kind of like, turnips and burgers. <laughs> but I, do, I really miss that feeling. I think now there is so much to read and it's so exciting. And this, you know, as an adult in the publishing world, so this is hot. This is buzzy. This is happening in six months, and I do really miss that feeling of being in a classroom or just by an unattended bookshelf or in a library and not knowing what anyone else thinks of any of the books and just being able to pull things out and think this looks interesting.
2: They are usually the books that I go for. I mean, it is great to have a buzzy book, um, but I I love to find I love to discover something very different and and I and I just love these very quirky. I go from reading crime thrillers, which I just adore, I can eat them up, I gobble them up, to reading these kind of quirky, um, surreal, absurd type stories. And they are always the ones that I I find tiny little thing in the shelf on its own. (laughs) No other books by the same author. Uh, So one would be The Tiny Wife by Andrew Kaufman. I absolutely adore it. It's surreal. I suppose surreal and absurd it would be my kind of favourite type of book to read. And and I don't know, and I never know anyone else who reads them. <laughs> I know it's in a popular book, but I mean, I, I just, it's not something that's been, you know, flash, there's no flash, flashing neon lights around it. It's just something that you discover yourself.
1: But it's a really special feeling, isn't it? Where you feel as though you have been spoken to. And I feel like I definitely know that name, but I will be... Looking at that, the tiny wife is such a good it's title, isn't it? it? you know? And
2: it's such a good story that there's um, a bank robber goes into a bank, and instead of stealing money or things, he asks each person for an item of sentimental value. So they have to give him an item of sentimental value, and then he takes them. And as soon as he go away, all these kind of very unusual things start to happen to people. Uh, one being that a wife starts shrinking, um, feeling very small in her in her world, and it's. Fabulous. He's written many others. There's Born Born Weird is another novel. There's The Ticking Heart, which I adored. And All My Friends Are Superheroes. He's got he's got a lot, but it's all like basically landing in the land of metaphor. (laughs) They're, They're fantastic.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
1: We'll be back with Cecilia soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week. I've chosen Perfect Sound Whatever by James Acaster. I really love this book, part memoir and part collection of criticism, as Acasta tries to get through a very painful period, the year 2017, by listening to as many albums as he possibly can from the year 2016. It's smart, generous and funny. It's about finding light in a dark time and it's about one of my very favourite themes, being a fan. This book reset my brain. I stopped worrying about the new things I'm missing – and I started feeling incredibly excited about discovering them instead. Perfect Sound Whatever by James A. Coaster is published by Headline and out now. Now back to Cecilia. Tell me about the crime thrillers that you enjoy because I'm, I'm always a bit scared of crime because of. because crime. <laughs> But I'm always trying to get into it because I know that, you know, so many people love them and they're so satisfying
2: to read. I gobble them up. They are satisfying. There's a couple of authors that I get super excited about. Um, So Karen Slaughter is one and her Grant County series would be one of my favorites. She's created these characters called Will Trent and Sarah Linton and they are the coolest people and they are my They're my friends. (laughs) I know these characters. and um, But not only is it... It is very can be very violent and very graphic and all that, but she it, they're so emotionally intelligent that it's not just about this crime. You really get involved in the characters' lives. They're very, they can be so romantic and it, it's incredible. They're, so they're more than just solving this mystery. It, it's about the characters too. I also love Lee Childs in the, Jack's, the Jack Reacher series. And I remember in the early books, they used to have um, this quote on it saying, men want to be him, women want to be with him, right which is just so awful, and I read an interview with uh, Lee Child who said, "Well, they realised that it wasn't women wanted to be with him; it was women who were reading it also wanted to be him." And like that's, it's just this amazing character who he always wins. <laughs> you know, he can sum everyone up um in one look. I love that kind of the cleverness of oh, that's he's wearing that watch, so he knows what they make a year, he knows who they are, probably where they live in that town. I just love that cleverness and. Um, and then the other author I absolutely adore is Jane Casey, who has written the Maeve Ker- Kerrigan series. And again, I think I like these books because they're so emotionally intelligent. It's not just about a crime that's very cleverly and brilliantly written. It's again, there's romance in it. There is, But there's a woman going through her own journey in life. Because I've read a lot of crime where you don't know what the person's feeling. You know, you don't really know what the mm. detective is feeling. Um, But these are really emotional. I don't know if it's Men do write emotion too, but these two particular crime ones are written by women and I I feel they're very compassionate, empathetic kind of books.
1: Because I guess that makes sense because if whatever side you are, you know, whether you're the person who is the victim of the crime or the person solving the crime, it's kind of bring up feelings. And again, that I think roots it in the real, doesn't it? And you can get so caught up. It's been, not to go into it too much, but I know that something that's been on the news a lot at the moment is the sort of true crime, amateur sleuth, a real tragedy has happened. Mm. And I've been really genuinely quite surprised by the number of people who seem to be like, well, I'm going to solve it like it's Wordle or Sudoku Mm. and don't seem to have that kind of empathy that this is a tragedy that's touched lives so I'm always really thrilled and grateful for writers who do that I'm a big fan of um, Caroline Kukoran her latest book is uh, What Happened on Floor 34 and I suppose it's kind of she does write I guess they're probably psychological thrillers but yeah it is about crime but in a really human and Mm. emotional way there is a sense of real people having very complex lives and also the complex parts of the lives that aren't necessarily impacted by the crime even.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and it's, this is what we love is storytelling. And this is a story and it's, even though it's taking you to a very dark part, it is escape from the life that you're living in now. But what I also love about them is this term somebody told me, it's um, like efficiency porn.
1: (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Yeah, it's the best thing.
2: So it's like we watch all these, you know, law and order or nypdb or whatever it is we're watching because there's a problem um they fix it you know everything's wrapped up and great at the end and then you move on and it's it's very satisfying to see people who are time and time again just really really good at what they do there's a problem they solve it and then you move on so you feel good at the end But even though you're you're reading about something kind of dark and horrific there's somebody there who kind of solves it and saves the day each time so there's something quite therapeutic about that you feel like you're
1: you've begun something, and you've got this nice finish to it. That makes so much sense. I think, especially when I consider what people were reading in the pandemic, when we saw no problem solving, <laughs> yeah. just a lot of endless problems. And I imagine that's that would be the time for people yeah. to turn to crime. Yeah, yeah. turn to reading crime. <laughs> turn to reading crime. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Well, I know we talked a bit about sort of, you know, favourite books and maybe not rereading them and not returning to them. Are there any books that you do reread? So
2: the only books that I think I reread are um, poetry, Um, unusually. So I like Rupi Rupi Kaur, The Sun and Her Flowers and Milk and Honey. I do find I, I pick up things like that and I would just pick a page and read it, and I'll feel good. But I don't, I actually don't revisit novels. If, I don't know why, <laughs> but I like to move on to the next story and I don't return. There's one book that I have read a couple of times ever since my teenage years is uh, The Diary of Anne Frank. And I kind of could not get that out of my head. And it was her- so horrific and appalling. And I used to write a diary every day as a child. And I kind of felt this link with her. And I kept returning to her words because they were written by her and I felt so connected to her. And that's the one book I have read. I can't tell you how many times, but I would just pick that up and pick a paragraph and read it and just feel oh Anne, you know you just feel like you're you're kind of reaching out for a bit when you read that so um that is the only book
1: so did you say you were a teenager when you read that for the very first time Yeah and did you know a lot about the book before you picked it up? No
2: I don't I don't remember um I don't remember the first time I even read it I just remember it's been such a part of my teenage years I've read it so many times yeah I was just also I mean I was kind of fascinated by that period of time in history anyway and I would always always kind of research that and oddly read the Nuremberg trial transcripts and things like that I was just kind of yeah I know weird but um but my mind does that when I'm interested in something I tend to just research it you know so much and and that book was like a real insight to what to somebody
1: had to suffer through it was horrific but like I revisited. And go oh such a a powerful example of what we were just talking about, mm-hmm. that these unimaginable, unthinkable, you know, tragedies and acts of violence and cruelty and evil happen. But mm-hmm. there are humans suffering. And I still remember that the shock I felt at sort of the way, you know, Anne like not getting on with her mother and them fighting and, you know, that sort of the very, I think, normal tension between a teenage girl and her mum and the
2: dreams she had. the dreams she was a dreamer
1: you know she wanted to be the things that she wanted to
2: do in her future and she wanted to kiss a boy and you know just these very normal teenage dreams and I think that's the stuff that my diaries were made of is like what's life gonna be yeah who am I gonna be am I ever gonna be this and that's why I just it's just you're there reading someone's hopes and dreams in the middle of
1: hell oh, really you know it's just horrific yeah I, I never want to forget that that's something that that happened to people I'm really I'm curious about the books that are going kind to of come out of the times that we have lived through I have read a couple of pandemic novels that I really loved and I wasn't expecting to because I'm like I don't want to go back there it's too soon I'm not ready but wow. I thought um One Day I Shall Astonish the world by Nina Stibbe and Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld were both excellent in really different ways and I loved the way they handled the pandemic in a way that was quite delicate and funny Mm. and real and they did it in a way that I think made it worth reading about
2: yes I I I think I that'll take me a while to get there too the only book I remember when Karen Slaughter's um novel came out during you know one of the lockdowns and and the characters in it were, were were masking like she did but she didn't talk about wasn't about um, COVID but all the characters were living through it so they were wearing their masks and they were sanitizing and that was kind of referred to and that felt I thought I wasn't going to like it or be able for it and it just was normal it was like normal life so maybe sometimes the things that you're running away from reading are really the things that you maybe it should um, but I i for me it's I remember during it thinking what, what do I write about next I remember those days going So do I, like, because we didn't know how we were even going to get through it and and how long it would last. I'm like, do I, do I write as if it hasn't happened? Do I write as if, or is everything changing from now on? I remember there was a, there was a a month or so where I was thinking, how do I go about even writing my next novel? And then what I decided to do was just write like it didn't, you know, I wanted to write the way that I always did, just escape and go to a story. And, Mm -hmm. And that's what I had to do. But I wrote you know, in a thousand different ways during lockdown. So that is kind of my pandemic book. Um, And that is definitely a time where I felt highly sensitive. Mm. Also writing it during one of the longest lockdowns in Ireland anyway, in January, Uh, you don't want to be locked down in Ireland in January. It was one of the greyest, longest months. And I think that, you know, when I was writing about a book about colour and about someone who who saw colour and needed colour, and that was, so it's funny, really, what's going on in your life can... know i wasn't writing about a gray world i was writing about a colorful world but i was living in a grey world uh feeling highly sensitive so that's i suppose that was my response to lockdown and to COVID and things like that but it wasn't to write a pandemic novel it was more to put my feelings of pandemic
1: into what i was writing created an alternative university Mm. that you could sort of you know exist in and live in when the real one was a little much um I was writing my novel Careering in lockdown and there was a lot of anxiety because it's sort of about how having a very emotional relationship with work and how ultimately it's never ever going to love you back. And I had the idea because that's something that I've been thinking about I think for all of my working life and possibly before that. Wait, um, love is never,
2: work is never going to love you back.
1: Yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. But on the one hand... It seemed real, you know, this is before the conversation about the great resignation and quiet quitting and, you know, all of those things. But also, as I was writing it, I was thinking, no one can go in the office. Will there be offices to go to? How can I write this, you know, set in this in this world? And actually, by the time Careering came out last March, people were back in offices and masking has sort of fallen away and Careering comes out in paperback Um on Thursday at the time of recording, and if I had tried to make it sort of pandemic friendly, or it would—I think it would just be very strange to read now. I think it would be quite, you know, unless I'd found a way to do it that was very specifically set in, in that time in I don't know, twenty twenty-two, which I sort I wanted to avoid. I think it would, you know, I wanted it to be timely, and I think it would make it feel less timely but I only really made that decision because I was living in a very cautious locked down masked world and I didn't want to live in that world when I could be at my desk and in my imagination. Absolutely I I mean I think that um, a lot of I know a lot of writers
2: struggled actually to write during lockdown during the pandemic and I spoke to a few about that you know that they couldn't find that their their head was able to wander to this kind of frothy place when something so heavy was happening and yet that is the time when I want my head to wander you know when when something tough is happening my head goes la 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 (laughs) yeah off it goes so I found it very um I'm not going to use the word inspiring but um but I, I wrote a lot I wrote a lot like the only problem to me was time because I was homeschooling and la 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 and all that other stuff um but no my head just disappeared to other places where this was not happening so I found it yeah it was good for me in that way which is what riding in I like to go to other places that that are not
1: here there's something I'm trying to figure out to do with what it did to us all and you know I understand in so many ways I was so lucky um broadly speaking everyone I know sort of managed to kind of get through it and be you know sort of as happy and healthy and secure as people could possibly be but things like weddings and holidays and how much humans are conditioned to kind of live in the future. And when we could plan things, but you couldn't fully relax into the joy of looking forward to them because you thought, well, you know, everything might get cancelled at the last minute. We don't know. And I think we're slowly starting to get that feeling back that it is okay to book a holiday and look forward to the holiday. And I think that part of our imagination is... I think it maybe lives in the same bit of the brain as novel writing. It's a bit different because it's much more kind of... It's maybe a more straightforward thing to imagine because you're the character and you're just, you know, picturing an airport or a new house or a, a marquee or whatever. But um, that part of the hope and the looking forward and the projection we were forced to shut that down. And I can understand how that would really interfere with the creative imagination. Yeah, that's very interesting. But not for you. <laughs> no,
2: no, not for me. And that's and and that's the thing about my weird head is that it does an awful lot of um, looking ahead at what if, what if, and I'm sure yours does, yours does absolutely the same. And had I did I never think of a pandemic? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but but I wouldn't explain I wouldn't describe myself as a worrier. But, these, but things go through my head. And I often I think, well, I'm going to travel to this country. Are there chances where the borders will close and I won't be able to leave and something will happen? Does that go through my head all the time? Yeah, I think I think of all the like gazillion different variations of things that can happen, good and bad, that by the time something, like I obviously exhaust myself. But sometimes most people, most normal people are taken surprise by, by big events and not that I was in any way ready for this. But I kind of, my head does all that imagining this and that and what if this happened and what ha- that happened and it's a part of my brain that's very very active and that's part like that's part of being a writer you're always going, yeah. what if um and I obviously do it with my own life and not just my character's life as well I you know it sounds very doom and gloom but I also think of the good things
1: but I think that's it I was recently introduced to the concept of pro-noia if paranoia is thinking everyone is saying and thinking terrible things about you, paranoia is imagining that everyone's going around talking about how great you are. (laughs) That's a huge help for anxiety is that sort of wonderful things are just as likely to happen as terrible ones. And what normally ends up happening is somewhere in the middle. And I think that's why I love reading novels so much and why they bring me Mm. so much comfort because it's that sense I suppose of a a simulation of of the best and worst and I think they really nourish and work that imaginative muscle of possibility it's not that terrible things can't happen or don't happen it's just you know the world is wide Mm, absolutely yeah it's just it's it's like a playground isn't
2: it the head the mind is a playground I love that yeah yeah I suppose when I'm reading books, it's often I'll go, oh, I wish I thought of that, you know, because it's fun. I go to my mind and I have fun. If I go for a walk, sometimes mm. I'm watching stories that I'm making up in my head like it's a movie or like it's a book. And sometimes, you know, I'll read a book and I'll go, oh, I wish that was, I wish that was my one. So for example, I love The Time Traveler's Wife by Audrey Niffenegger. And I just, I would love to have written that book. <laughs> you know, some ideas
1: you ever, mm. some books and just, go, oh, I wish I'd thought of that one. I could have thought of that one, but I didn't. I think that's such a great thing to ask. What specific parts of it made you... Was it the, the the overall concept or was it when reading it and you thought, oh, damn, I wish I'd done this? So the overall concept, yes. But then there were parts of it like, so
2: this woman, her husband is a time traveller, so he jumps back and forth in time. And then there's the point where she meets him when she's very young, like as a child. I don't, can't remember what age, so I'm making up five years old. So... He she meets him at five when he's an adult. And yet she grows up knowing him her whole life. And when she meets him for the first time, he has never met her yet. So when they are married and lying in bed t- together, and he disappears, he goes into time travel, and all of a sudden he lands in bed and starts laughing and says, I just met you. So I just I just find that so clever. That bit I go over and over going, that's so clever. So who meets who first? <laughs> i find it so like there's so much to the novel that makes me wonder that i like so on paper it seems like a very kind of easy story there's a woman whose husband jumps back and forth in time but really there's so much more to it that you know and when he's he's younger he's jumping forward and sees her when she's an older woman so that when she's an older woman and he's no longer around suddenly he's there i mean it's just so the whole thing was beautiful to me so many layers and um it's also, it's dark, but it's romantic. And there's so much emotion. I cried my eyes out reading it.
1: There's an incredible sense of the infinite. And I love, I really love the sort of the Groundhog Day concept. Yeah. And my friend, Jessica Major, has just written a gorgeous new novel called, I think, Maybe Next Time. And it's a woman who is reliving the same day over and over again and doesn't know why. And it's so great because... It's more than the concept. She's taken a really interesting idea, but the characters have so much warmth and depth and it's really smart and it's really tender. But the sort of the classic way to tell that story is to have that one character learning different things about different people as each day goes by and what the time traveler's wife does it almost takes that to the power of itself the same day can have infinite possibilities but this is like putting a mirror in a mirror in a mirror and there's a billion infinite possibilities when you've got that jumping yeah and that's it that just seems so
2: big to me in my head and like she was so clever to write it and you know how she how she controls that okay she could have kept going on and on and on and it was so nicely controlled and Left you wanting more, but it was just, you know it was perfect. Perfect book to me.
1: Oh, Cecilia, I could talk about books to you <laughs> all day. I know you've got. Well, I'm available. To do, but I, hope, <laughs> I hope we can do this again. Uh, before we go, I'd love to hear about anything that you're looking forward to reading next. Anything that's sort of on your shelf or on your bedside table that you're excited to pick up.
2: I'm really looking forward to reading this tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. <laughs> I'm sure everybody seems to have read it. I want to read that um what have I got on my I should have <laughs> the one question I should have prepared for <laughs> <laughs> I, to pitch the shelf. <laughs> I just finished one yesterday I just finished the five girls that disappeared by Claire Douglas I thought that was really good i doubles doubled that up
1: oh is that crime or... yes it is crime
2: and the one book that I'm recommending to everyone and I think when I met you we we met up at a, a dinner a while back I was raving about this book which is called Queen Bee by Kira Geraghty and it is like Bridget Jones meets menopause and I found it so hilarious and just different I haven't read anything like it it's you know the way Bridget Jones would kind of do her calorie count and how much alcohol she's drank or whatever but for this it's um the diary entries are, are introduced by symptoms like rage, anger, bitterness <laughs> I found it I just laughed and I don't usually laugh when I'm reading novels I'm It takes a lot for me to laugh out loud with the book. I just absolutely adored it. So I recommend
1: that to everybody. (laughs) That sounds fantastic. That is going straight to the top of my list. And actually, because I think I sort of had that, like we had talked about it and all I could remember was, rage and bitterness and <laughs> <laughs> that was not so good on google but now i know thank you i no, will definitely be reading they're the
2: they're the ones that obviously jumped out to me rage and bitterness they were the, the strong <laughs> um but it's about so much more of course but uh, it's just very 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 funny and uplifting and again emotional because it's about real stuff that we're all going through so
1: as is um in a thousand different ways which i'm so excited for everyone to discover because it's so good there, there were definitely bits that made me it made me smile and laugh at that but also that yeah it was a very full exploration of, of human emotion and I think we always need more of those so I'm really delighted for people to discover it. it's really beautiful
2: thank you. now I'm thinking of all the recommendations I should have <laughs> before the coffee gets cold read that
1: one <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure and a joy thank you so much for coming on the podcast I've had a really really good time I had a brilliant time thanks so you. much for having me Huge thanks to Cecilia. A Thousand Different Ways is published by HarperCollins and out on the 13th of April which is this Thursday if you're listening during release week. It's a beautiful book Cecilia is writing at the peak of her powers. Your book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by ACAST. You can find all the books Cecilia mentioned at acast.com booked and you can see a selection at bookshop.org. You can find us and follow us on social media at YBooked. Huge thanks to everyone who has given us a five-star review. We appreciate it so much. We love you. If you haven't done it yet and you've been listening for a little while, we would really like a nice review. It is the best way to help people to find the podcast and their new favourite book. We'll be back next week. For now, I leave you with this from Stephen Sondheim. Every writer I've ever spoken to feels fraudulent in some way or other. See you next time.
0: Planning for your next trip?